0: Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. For more information, visit Kevinconnor.org. Okay, everybody ready? I ask you a question: Is everybody ready? How's your poor little brains? Are you thinking? All right, let's, uh, we we did finish the session. We'll go on to our next one in a moment. Uh, But just go to the final page, which is nine. And uh, just uh, sort of uh, the whole purpose of that lesson uh, on conclusion, page nine. You got that? Okay, so the conclusion is, what a challenge to all believers in Philippi and all believers today to be like-minded of a humble mind and unity of mind As the example of the Lord Jesus Christ shows, how many would say amen to that? Uh, That's it, you know. And as I said, you know, the more I study that passage, I think, wow, Paul, I'd like to have a, a thousand years with Paul in eternity. So, hey, answer some of the questions. Alright, the opposite, Lucifer, Satan, who exalted himself, became egocentric, egotheistic, lifted up in pride, wanted to be as God, wanting the worship of angels and men, even of Jesus himself. This was totally the opposite of Jesus, who being in the form of God, humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant, died on the cross to redeem us. Because of this oneness of mind with the Father and his humility, the Father has highly exalted him, the way up is down and the way down is up being lifted up. Such is his example to us and to angels of mankind. How many would say amen on that? Amen. Yeah, so that's been the challenge to me. I say, Lord, give me a little, you know, give me a good dose of your humility. Okay, now let's go to our last session here. Some good questions in uh, between time, but, uh, If you want to uh, explore it a little bit more, you'll find that the, uh, the Father's name is Lord. He has now put his name upon the Son, who is Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is also Lord. So it's actually the Godhead name. But you see, the thing we've been dealing with is because in the form of God, he took upon himself the form of man and now we have the God-man and it's the God-man that's exalted and as I was saying to Simone, I think it was, that we actually have a man, a God-man in the Godhead as the mediator between God, the nature of God and man. And so when we pray, shock statement, but none of us can go to God direct. Jesus said, if you ask the Father anything in my name. So time I pray, it's a habit with mine. So I, I clean my teeth every day. How, how many think that's a good habit? My wife wouldn't kiss me otherwise. See, I slay her with the breath of my mouth. So I have certain habits that I do. But they're good habits. So anytime I pray, I say, Father... I come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, whatever. That's it. So if I ask the Father anything in my name, Jesus, that's it. So we cannot go to God direct. We come to the Father through the Son. We used to sing it. In the older days, O come to the Father through Jesus, the Son, and give him the glory. All right, now, for our final session here, I hope you got something out of that. Anyway, something to think about, and uh, if you get any divine thoughts, uh, you can do that next week in the interview. All right, now, for our final session tonight, and remember, next week it starts at 4.30. Not A-S-T, Australian Standard Time, any time. Okay, so uh, pressing on in Philippians, so session five, I want to deal with a little bit more theology tonight. Is everybody enjoying a bit of theology? Okay, the cross is the key. Okay, there there are some uh, introductory here. There are some 11 specific references to the cross in the epistles in the New Testament. Together they complete the work of the cross, the revelation of the work of the cross. Now... Listen to me carefully here. When, when we go to the Gospels, and this is really important. It took me uh, many years to co- come to this. When we go to the Gospels, we see that side of the cross. We see the historical Christ and everything like that. But we really really don't understand the spiritual significances of a lot of things that took that side of the cross until we come this side of the cross and Paul is the main revelator of these things alright so let me read here letter A the gospels and the epistles it is needful to understand the distinction yet the relationship between the gospels and the epistles especially with relation to the cross as all are also other New Testament truths of which we note several examples and I've just given you three examples for instance, in the Gospels, we have the command to be water baptized. Matthew chapter twenty-eight, Mark sixteen: uh, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit." And uh, he that believeth and is baptized. So notice, believing precedes baptism; otherwise, you go down a dry sinner and come up a wet one. Thank you, Kevin, for that good thought. Okay. But you see, we don't know what water baptism means in the Gospels. All we've got is Matthew, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then make disciples of all nations. He that believes and is baptized. We don't know what baptism means. But when we go to... So I've got here, the command to be baptised is given in the Gospels, but the meaning and significance of water baptism is only found in the epistles. So when we go to Romans chapter 6, Galatians 3, Colossians, Paul says, as many of us were baptised into Christ, why didn't he say baptise in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? They don't do that. Nowhere in the book of Acts do they do that. They never quote the command. You never fulfill a command by quoting it. The first revelation given to Peter on the day of Pentecost was the name to be baptized in. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus him you crucified, both Lord and Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the first revelation given to Peter on the day of Pentecost. And from now on, you see, fourteen records in the seven in Acts and seven in the Epistles. Every one of them, and it depends on you a lot on your translations. Every one of them, they never ever quote Matthew 28:19 on its own. They always baptize in the name of the Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Earliest manuscripts had the lot. But the further they got away from the Lord. Now, we quote scriptures, both scriptures. We quote three of them. Okay, so what do you do with that? So Paul says in the epistles, when you're baptized, you're buried with him in baptism. You rise to walk in newness of life. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Where's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why don't you quote Matthew twenty-eight nineteen? See, I mean, that raises lots of questions in your mind. All right, number two, in the gospel, we see the Lord Jesus established in the communion, Luke chapter 22 and Matthew, so forth, but is given to Paul to provide the inner meaning and significance of the table of the Lord. We don't know what the table of the Lord really means in the Gospels. He just says, this is the new covenant in my blood, this is my body, this is my blood, that's it. But we don't know the meaning. But Paul says, years later, he says, I have received of the Lord, not of Peter, James or John, I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you. Then he quotes Matthew 26 and so forth. But he says, if we don't discern the Lord's body, know you not that you are the body of Christ. Paul gives whole revelation on the Lord's table. And that's why we need to be careful when we take the Lord's table. For this cause, what cause? Not discerning the Lord's body. You are the body of Christ. Paul is very clear. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many die. He gives us whole insight and revelation into the communion. Is that making sense to everybody? So we've got to see what the gospels say, and then what the epistles say. That's it. Okay, the last illustration, and not the only one. The cross in the gospels. We have the details of Christ's sufferings on the cross and the terrible agonies in, he endured in his crucifixion. But it is in the epistles that Paul interprets the profound work of the cross uh, as Jesus dealt with our sins and triumphed over satanic hosts. So we don't know. We look at the Gospels and in ourself, we do because of the terrible agony of crucifixion and the most torturous death. Uh, known to mankind are uh, the agonies of the cross but Paul says on the cross Jesus triumphed over Satan and principalities and powers he destroyed the works of the devil it's Paul and Peter and John that give us the revelation what actually took place on the cross but we don't know that just through the gospels so that's why we need the gospels and the epistles together to help us understand. All right, the Gospels deal with the flesh, the physical and the external. The Epistles deal with the spirit, the spiritual and the internal truths. that makes sense to everybody? How many does that make sense to? Yes. Maybe it's a new, a new thought, but uh, this is the advanced class and you're not supposed to be in this class unless you're advanced. Yes. Okay, so what I've done here... We haven't got time to go through all the scriptures, but I'd like you to do that. I've I've, I've written written, written them out here. So when I went through the cross, just in Paul's epistles, I thought, wow, there's so much here. So number one, the cross in the Corinthians. You know what Paul says? Let me just read the scripture to you. Uh, I've got too much otherwise to cover. For Christ sent me not to baptize, But to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of the world, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that uh, perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. So what was the cross in in uh, Corinthians? It's the power of God. Foolishness to the unbeliever, but to us it's the power of God. How many have been saved by the power of the cross? That's it, but to the unbeliever, it's foolishness. To the Islamic faith, it's foolishness. They don't believe in a that Jesus was crucified. Foolishness, eh? but to us, All right, what does the cross mean in Galatians? I'd like to encourage you to read the scriptures. And I, brethren, Paul says, if I yet preach circumcision, why? Uh, do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offence of the cross ceased. And then in chapter 6, uh, 12, he says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And then he ends up, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. You can spend a lot of time on each of those passages, what the cross meant to Paul. God forbid that I should glory. So he didn't glory in all the churches he planted, all the revelation he got from God, all the epistles he'd written. He said, I glory in the cross. That's our glory. How many say amen on that? We glory in the cross. Uh, Listen to what he says, the cross in, in Ephesians, and that he might reconcile both. Unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So what does he do in that passage? He goes through the conflict between Jew and Gentile and how Jesus reconciled both, Jew and Gentile. So the further we get away from the cross, the further we get into racism. But so we just need to get back to the cross and Jew and Gentile kneel at the foot of the cross and is reconcile. There's no racism at the cross. That's why, you know, we've got to preach the cross more. Listen to Philippians, which we're dealing with. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, "For many walk of whom I've I've told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, they are that they are enemies of the cross of Christ." Wow, enemies! Listen to what uh, it says in Colossians about the cross: "And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile." All things unto himself by him. I say uh, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And then he goes on blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was, uh, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of, uh, out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Uh, let, let me digress one little thought here. When you go back to the five uh, Levitical offerings in Leviticus chapter one, two, three, four, five. Uh, six and seven give some uh, further details. Did you know what happened in only in the peace offering? In the peace offering, which was the the me the bird offering, not my wife's cooking, okay. And then the meal offering, then the peace offering. Do you know what happened? The uh, in the peace offering, the offerer was to give the shoulder to the priest and give the uh, the breast to the priest and I think I've got this right but the shoulder was waved as a wave offering before the Lord and it went up and down but then the breast was given as a wave offering and do you know what he did? He actually made the sign of the cross whether Paul knew that or not I don't know he could he'd know so much but you see he's made peace through the blood of the cross. Wow. Can you, say that again, you want me to say it again? <laughs> right faster. Yes. So, so when he when uh, I think it was the shoulder, he waved the shoulder up and down like that, and then he waved the breast like that. So when he did that, he made the sign of the cross, and Paul says, we have peace through the blood of the cross. Got that? Yes. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry to do this to you. Okay, so nailing at his cross and then uh, Hebrews chapter 12, cross in Hebrews, he looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy? The church, the bride of Christ. He, he didn't en- enjoy the cross he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And uh, while, while it's in my little mind here, did you ever think of what John the Baptist said uh, when they came to him about the water baptism? He said, uh, he said, I told you there's one coming after me who's greater than me. And he said, uh, he that has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, where was Eve? Eve Was in Adam. But in due time, at the close of the six days, he was manifest. Where is the church? The church is in the bridegroom. Then John went on to say, Therefore, my joy is fulfilled when I hear the bridegroom's voice. He that has the bride, Jesus, is the bridegroom, the church. He has the church. Right? Therefore I rejoice because I hear the bridegroom's voice. Have you ever thought that uh, John the Baptist may be the best man? Just a thought. Don't build a church on it. Anyway, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, uh, we haven't got time to do on this, but uh, I put it down for you anyway. uh, Let us see enemies of the cross. Paul talks about that in Philippians, enemies of the cross. You think how many signs there are, the, the V for victory sign, the peace symbol. The, one of the worst ones is, have you ever studied the swastika? The swastika is a cross, broken on it's, uh, every side. And Hitler was the greatest enemy of the cross and the Jewish people but he used a symbol. That was a broken upside-down cross. Swoon theory that Christ never died, so forth. Okay, let's go over the next page. This is interesting here. I'm, I'm aiming for a particular point. The sign of the cross in the forehead, I'll just read this little part. Jamison Fawcett and Brown Commentary has this to say on verse uh, 4, because uh, what happened uh, as Ezekiel was given the vision, uh, he was told to go through the city and put a mark on the foreheads of those who sighed and cried for the abominations of of Jerusalem. So, Jamison Fawcett Brown has to say this. The two-fold, this twofold designation marks more emphatically the scene of the, the divine judgments. Mark, literally, the Hebrew letter Tau, which was the last in the Hebrew alphabet, and used as a mark in the, written in the form of a cross which Totalion, one of the early church fathers, explains as referring to the badge and the only means of salvation. And what he's actually saying, I want you to go through the city of Jerusalem and put a cross upon the forehead of those that sigh and cry for the abominations of Jerusalem. So you can check that out for yourself. Some translations bring it out. But why? why the forehead? So... We talked about this last week, about the mind. We all need the mark of the cross, spiritually, at least on our forehead. It has to do with the forehead, the seat, or the reason, the mind, the thoughts and the imaginations. So I, I, I hope you all felt the same way as my wife and I did after Saturday's meeting and say all oh, the abominations, God. In fact, this might might sound silly to you. Before I go to sleep, I always go through my uh, daily uh, daily routine about the blood and about the washing of water by the word and about the supply of the Holy Spirit and the daily incense. But you know what? I oh, oh, And you don't have to do this. You might say, oh, Kevin, it's a habit. Say... Yeah, there's a habits. I wash every day. I clean my teeth every day. I don't take a shower every day to save water. Uh, You know, but I eat every day. There's certain daily ministrations. You say, that's a rut. Say, yeah. So when I go to sleep, do you know what I ask? I ask the Lord to put the blood over my mind. So I don't wake up with bad dreams or bad thoughts. And I do that every night. I say, Father, I just pray that the blood of Jesus will be over my mind so I don't wake up because when I was younger, I used to wake up with bad dreams. And I mean bad dreams. So so I put the blood over my mind. Is that bad? Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Think of the Roman priests. How many are from the Roman church? Hands up. Okay, you might remember the priest when he does the sign of the cross. It's this for the Father, and this for the Son, the heart, and then this for the Holy Spirit. Where'd they get all that from? All right, letter E. I think I've done enough on this uh, tonight. Lucifer crossed God's will by his five I wills, self-will, Jesus died on the cross of Calvary by saying, not my will but yours be done. His five wounds are the answer to Satan's five I wills. Not my will. And then uh, Collins dictionary is very simple on this. What is the meaning of the word cross? And uh, Collins dictionary simply puts it this way. Two pieces of timber placed transversely one upon another in various uh, forms like this or else this. Or else, uh, this um, two ideas. The whole thought is two ideas, two wills, two philosophies running in opposite directions. So, when we say, "Lord," when Jesus said, "Take up your cross and follow me," He's not talking about you know getting a little gold cross round our neck that looks very pretty on you ladies. <laughs> Sorry about that if you got one. Or putting a cross on a building outside, you know, not even a crucifix because the cross is empty. He's finished with it. <clears throat> but see, when we come to Jesus, we say, "Long, no longer," because uh, remember the Pharisee. God, I thank thee that I am not like other men. I fast, I tithe, I go to what do we call that city Christian five times. How many know? That Pharisee needed to see an eye specialist. <laughs> Five times he said, "I." So when we come to Jesus, we're all guilty of this. "I will, I will, I will," and then Jesus comes, puts the horizontal bar, and says, "Take up your cross and follow me." And he crosses our will, so that we end up saying, "Not my will, but your will be done." How many say, "Amen"? That's the principle of the cross in our life crossing out our will. Now, I want you to go over it for the last few moments here because uh, you've had a pretty solid tonight. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I appreciate your prayers for me to... uh, because at uh, 86 and a half, I I do get tired. (laughs) And I say to my wife, did I finish that sentence that I said in the middle of it? (laughs) She says, no, you went on to something else. So wait till you're 86 and a half. You'll feel. Okay, now, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 to 17. Very important. Uh, Hebrews 9:15 to 17 I'll read it from uh, I'll read it from old King James. for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth whereupon neither the first Testament was dedicated without blood, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of uh, calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry and almost all things are by the law purged without blood, And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, let me just take this a few moments here. As long as Jesus lived, he was under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But the moment he gathered the 12 disciples and instituted the Lord's table, he took the bread... Now. We, we so often, you know, I've missed it over the years. But he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Drinking all of it. Now you think what the disciples are thinking. Wow. This is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. Oh. Oh. That's what Jeremiah said in chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with them when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, but I will make a new covenant I will write my laws in their mind and in their hearts. So you think of what's going on in the minds of the disciples and this which should go on a little bit in our mind. Jesus takes the bread and takes the body. And notice what it says. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. The moment Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, he obligated himself to die. Let me read it slowly. For where a testament is, this is the New Testament in my blood there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So as long as Jesus was alive, the New Testament, the New Covenant could not come into effect. Everyone clear on that? Then, read the next verse carefully, slowly. For a testament is a force after men are dead. So Jesus had to die on the cross to bring the New Testament into effect. Let me read it again. For a testament, the New Testament, or any testament, is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So as long as Jesus lived, the New Testament could not come into effect. We could not be the beneficiaries of the new testament every that makes sense to everybody so when you know we don't take these things lightly so when we have communion someone reads the scripture if they do you know this is the new testament in my blood wow as long as jesus was alive he's the testator all those promises that he said in the gospels could not come into effect while he lived but now he's got to die It makes you appreciate the death of Jesus. How many can say amen? All right. Then, whereupon neither the First Testament, referring to the Old Testament, was dedicated without blood, and we know that, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, Uh, And, you know, this is so loaded. I mean, when the soldier pierced his side, forthwith came blood and water. This is he that came by water, but by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood, and it's the Spirit that bears witness. So we need the cleansing of the blood. We need the washing of water by the word. We need the witness of the Spirit. This is he that came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood as the Spirit bears witness. Scarlet wool, the wool that had been dyed red. And hyssop, the application of the blood, hyssop. And sprinkled both the book. Years ago, the Methodist church, that used to be tried to delete every hymn of John and Charles Wesley that had blood in it. They nearly destroyed their hymn book because nearly every hymn of John and Charles Wesley mentioned the blood. This is a blood-sprinkled book. Take the blood out. There's no life. The blood is the life thereof. Everybody say hallelujah. And he sprinkled both the book... And all the people. You and I are a blood sprinkled people. And this is a blood sprinkled book. Saying this is the blood. What word did Jesus add? This is the blood of the New Testament. He added just one new word. The New Testament. This is the New Testament in my blood. Everything's... Everything sprinkled with blood, purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. How many are glad for the blood of Jesus? All right, let's go over to, he- he- back to Hebrews 8, 7. Just tremendous verses, and these uh, verses are on your notes here. Hebrews eight seven, four 7. F- uh, verse 8. Uh, yeah, verse 8. Because finding fault with them, that's the people, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day uh, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, uh, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. So grace is not lawlessness. The new covenant is not lawlessness. And the difference, we have to keep in mind because there's so much uh, preaching on grace today, but uh, some of it is disgrace. <laughs> uh, it's a grace which is lawlessness. But, but the new covenant says, I'll put my laws into their minds. And their hearts. So, what's the difference between the old covenant, and the new covenant? The old covenant was external. The new covenant is internal. The old covenant was on two tables of stone. The new covenant is on our minds and our hearts. So, the new covenant was the law, but the new, uh, the old covenant was the law. The new covenant is not lawlessness. The new covenant writes this law on our minds and in our hearts. It's internal. The old covenant gave us no power to do it and condemned us. The new covenant gives us power by the Holy Spirit to keep it. Uh, Sometimes if I'm preaching on this, I give ten commandments to my wife. So when my wife, I go away, I put on the refrigerator. Thou shalt have no other husbands beside me. Commandment number two, thou should not take photos of other men while your husband is away. And then I go on and on. Thou should keep the dog and cat free of fleas. And thou should only rest when I tell you. I don't do that. I love my wife. And say amen real loud. She loves me. We tell each other morning and night, I love you, darling. And said, come on. And what do you say to me? No, you say it out loud. <laughs> the people want to hear your voice, not just mine. So we tell that to each other morning and night. That's not bad for 22 years. Yeah. I for that. I've been in their home and I heard them. Yeah, you were eavesdropping. <laughs> yeah, anyway, what are we saying? Okay, so the first covenant, the old and mosaic, the second covenant, the new in, uh or Christ. The moment Christ made the new covenant, he obligated himself to die and shed his blood, the new covenant. And then I want you to go to uh, Hebrews 10 while you're there. Just a few more minutes and then I'm done. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, verse 9. verse 9 I'm reading from New King James then he said behold I have come to do your will O God he takes away the first that he may establish the second so he took away the first covenant the old and the Mosaic covenant to establish the second the new covenant that's it Okay, so that's it. So the new covenant, the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes as the executor of his will and he is the divine seal. And so in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 430, uh, it says that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is the seal. The seal, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So every will had to have a seal, and the Holy Spirit is the seal of that will. All right, now, the last uh, uh, moments I want to deal with you, which is sort of really the the, uh, climax of this session, the cross is the key. The cross and the covenants. Now, this is really important for us to get hold on. It's, It's something that's not taught much in the churches at all. The hermeneutical filter. Everything of the old covenant passes to... Or if it goes through the cross, it belongs to the new covenant. All the temporal elements of all previous or former covenants are fulfilled and abolished at the cross. The cross becomes the filter to which all passes, uh, to which all pa- is fulfilled and abolished, or else it passes through the cross, it is eternal. God will not, never go to the other side of the cross to restore anything of the Mosaic Covenant and the diagram illustrates. Let me, let me say this. See, uh, when I was younger, I was uh, a great Schofield man. And uh, so I believed, and I don't know what you believe, and I really don't care <laughs> because I had to change my mind. But see, I taught and had great anointings on it till I found I was wrong, that in the coming millennium, The Jews will be the head of the nations, and I'm not anti Jewish. I pray for Israel every morning that they might be saved. So I always taught, and I had great anointings until I found I was wrong. That in the millennium or in this end of the age, there will be a real built temple. Animal sacrifices will be restored. uh, The Jews will be the head of the nations. And uh, one brother said to me years ago at one church I was preaching at, he said, Kevin, he said, do you know what God's doing with you? I said, sometimes I wonder. But he said, God is training you as a priest so that in the millennium you'll offer animal sacrifices. So I, by then I'd woke up and I said, Kevin forbid and heaven forbid, you know. So what I, what as I finish here, I want you to go back and this is a real good test. Everything of the Old Testament doesn't matter whether it's from the Abrahamic covenant, the New Covenant, Mosaic covenant, or the, not the New Covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. It doesn't matter what covenant it is. Everything that's of temporal value, goes through to the cross and is fulfilled and abolished at the cross. Now, let's go through some of these. How many believe, and and, and don't be afraid to put your hand up, uh, maybe I'm setting you free, know the truth that sets you free. How many believe that uh, we're going to offer animal sacrifices in the, in the millennial age? Hands up. Did you scratch there or...? I thought that was a hand. Okay. Now, either you're a chicken or else. You're a bunch of liars. But see, I used to teach that. So what about the priesthood? Was that fulfilled and abolished at the cross? Right? See, the cross is the hermeneutical filter. You pass everything to the cross and it's either, it's got to be fulfilled. It's either be fulfilled and abolished or else it goes through the cross into a higher level. Okay. What about, um, oh, I'll bring a new one. What about uh, worship? Was that abolished at the cross? So that goes to the cross and through the cross. Everybody agree with that? So you've got to go through everything of the Old Testament and see if it goes to the cross and it's fulfilled and abolished at the cross or whether it goes through the cross to a higher level. That's the key. So you've got it down there. I won't take any more of your valuable time. I'm tired and you must be. So fulfilled and abolished. So it goes to the cross, Old Testament sacrifices. See, the biggest insult to Calvary and the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the biggest insult to the table of the Lord would be for God to backslide and go the other side of the cross and restore the Mosaic Covenant. That's an insult to Calvary. His sacrifice fulfilled and abolished All animal sacrifice. Everybody say amen? Amen. The priesthood. What priesthood are we under now? The Melchizedek priesthood. I'm looking, you're looking at King Connor and Queen Tut. Uh, Yeah, and he's the king of kings because we're all kings and queens. And he's the king of kings. I feel good, don't you? And what about the temple veil? You think of the priest being on afternoon, afternoon duty and he's offering the blood of the evening sacrifice, and all of a sudden, God rips the temple, the veil, from top to bottom and says to this boy, You're out of a job. <laughs> my priesthood is hanging out on the cross. My sacrifice, my Melchizedek priesthood. What about the feast of the Lord? Why don't you go to Jerusalem for a misguided tour and keep the Feast of Tabernacles? You don't need to. Christ is my Passover. The Holy Spirit is my Pentecost. I've yet to come into Feast of Tabernacles. What about circumcision, all you guys? Are you glad that's going to be instituted in the millennium? I'm going to turn into a woman if that's okay. <laughs> what? What? I'm oh, sorry. I'm tired. New moons and Sabbaths. See? Israel? No. This side of the cross. It's the tabernacle of David. Praise and worship. Melchizedek priesthood. Spiritual sacrifices. They're of the heart. We find rest in Christ. And Jew and Gentile are brought together in one body. Now, wonder Paul said, I will glory in the cross. Everybody said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you survived tonight? Come back for this final exciting episode when I've got to do three sessions next week. Let's all stand. I'm done. And you must be really done. But I really hope you got something out of tonight. It's a little bit of theology, but it helps. Know the truth, it sets you free. Uh, who hasn't prayed today? Jonathan, how are you feeling? Are you feeling anointed? Yeah, yeah come on. Help, help this old man. Okay, thank you. Put the pontifical blessing on us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what we learned today, and we thank you for what Kevin was able to share with us. And just pray that we can mull over this over the week, Lord, and that we can share it with our friends and family. And really, we just thank you for the new insight, new truth that it brings into our lives, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.